0: chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so last week, while you're turning there, um, if you're using the Bible in the pew, this is on page 554, or if you have your own, you want to turn there or click there. Um, I, I always have the verses on the screen, but just based on the, what we're going to be looking at today, I would recommend, you know, maybe pulling it out just to be able to follow along as well. Uh, Last week, we started a new series called Let's Talk About. Um, In the spirit of the song, we don't talk about Bruno, we want to lean into some conversations that typically get avoided, but we need to talk about them. And so rather than avoiding topics around emotional health, we want to lean into them. And so last week, we laid a foundation for this, that we are emotional beings, our emotions reveal our hearts, and our emotions must be led by the Lord. Uh, We're going to get into some more specific topics starting next week, but now I want to build on last week's message a little bit. And if you weren't with us for last week and you want to get caught up in that and hear just that first part of it, if you go into the App Store on your phone and just look for New Life Community Church— uh, you'll see our logo, and you can download the app, and just find Lincoln Park, and then all the messages are available online if you want to do that. But that second point from last week, our emotions reveal our hearts. I said last week that we were going to revisit that idea this week, and that's really what today's about: is uh, unpacking that idea just a little bit more through this passage in Ecclesiastes. So, before we do that, let's pray together and just ask God that He would speak to our hearts. God, we are grateful for Your presence. We're grateful for Your care, Your love. Your grace, your mercy, the fact that you are not far off or aloof to us, but that you are near, that you care and love about us immensely. God, we thank you for the fact that you want us to know you, that you want us to hear from you. I pray that you would encourage this morning. Uh, Whether we're sitting here in the pews or we're sitting watching at home, I pray, God, that you would uh, penetrate our distractions and our busyness and the things that we're worried about or bothered by or whatever it might be that we could hear from you this morning. And I pray that, Spirit, you would move and you would speak. I'm so grateful that you know the ins and outs of our thoughts and feelings and everything that we carry, that you carry those with us, that you love us and care for us through those things. So I pray that you would remind us of those realities this morning. Encourage our hearts in a powerful way. Give us courage to hear from you. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to say something that I don't say very often here in church. Can you get your phones out for a moment? Uh, bring out the, um, your internet browser, what have you, whatever, and I want you to just Google search this. I want you to type in, how many days has there been since, and then put in your birthday. So how many days has it been since September 4th, 1974? If you just want to mark that date down also for later, uh, you'll know my birthday. And so whatever that number is that pops up. For me, I have been alive, according to Google's algorithms, for 17,406 days. Uh, My wife, Jeanette, has been alive for 17,939 days. Yes, she's older. Uh, my daughter Bailey is 5,627 days old and my son Jackson is 4,675 days old. Let me hear from some others. How many days do we have represented here? Come on. 8,674. Say it again. 8,674. And happy about all of them. That's great. What were you going to say? 12,192. 12,192. Somebody else. I love the enthusiasm from this group compared to the 9 o'clock. <laughs> Apparently seeing these numbers was very depressing for the 9 o'clock crowd. What other, how many, how many numbers? 12,015. 12,015. Those 15 days are really important. Uh, what else? Awesome. couple more. Nice. That makes me feel better about my number. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, it's a whole lot of days, isn't it? And now, wait, wait, put your phones away now. That's all you needed them for. Uh, I, I've been in the balcony and seen some of you on your phones in church. So put them away. You don't need those anymore. Um, that is a whole lot of days, isn't it? Regardless of what number you put in, regardless of what your day is, you look at that number and it might be a little jarring. And the thing about that number, the, the, the thing about the number of days that you have had is that you remember every single one of those days, don't you? You remember every single one. It doesn't matter how many days you've had. You remember the details of all of them, right? <laughs> no, obviously not. There's just some days that are more mundane, just kind of more this typical thing that happens, and you forget some of those details. In fact, it's, we're not even halfway through the year, and you don't remember all that that's happened on just the days from 2022, right? We don't remember everything that happened on every day. But in a couple weeks when we're at the family meal, if I was sitting across from you and I said, hey, what are your top five best days? Of all the different days that you've had, whatever that number was, what are your top five best days? I bet you would know. In fact, probably the, the top two or three would just come really quick you would immediately say what they were. You would rattle them off. You might have to think for a moment for the fourth one, but you would say that, and then the fifth one would follow. You might get all five out really quick and want to ask me, can I add a couple more? But you would know. In fact, even me asking that question and mentioning that, you're thinking of what some of those top five days are right now, aren't you? After you shared that, if I asked you, okay, well, what are five of your worst days? I bet you'd know those as well. They may come a little slower, but you would know them. Might not come as fast as the best days, but you would get to a couple of them. you get two or three out. You might have to think a little bit longer. We might mutter at some point, man, I don't want to dredge up all of that stuff. I mean, let's talk about those best days again. But you would eventually name five. And I bet right now you can even think of some, and you are thinking of some. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is making observations on what he can see in the world around him, the life that humans live and how we go about our days. And he makes a lot of different comments, a lot of different observations about this life. But there's a section here at the beginning of chapter 3 where he makes some comments about the good days and the bad days. And we're actually going to look at today Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 13, but we're going to break it up into two halves and say a couple things about each half. And so looking at the first half, it starts in verse 1. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up Now, I think we should just give credit where credit is due. This is not a bird's song, if you know what that is. This is scripture, and so God had it first. Um, And there's quite the variety here, isn't there? And thank goodness for the fact that there's a variety here. If it was just one of these things, on the good side or the bad side, that would be a pretty monotonous life. This is not a list of anything that we plan out. It's reactions to things that we experience in life. But what this list is is it shows us the reality of life. This is the reality of life in just eight verses. And when we think about our emotions, when we think about mental health, emotional health, how can this simple but profound portion of Scripture encourage us and guide us as we think about our days that we've experienced, where we're at, and where we're going? Well, looking at these first eight verses, there's a few things I think that are really important. First one is this, that God's love does not prevent bad days from happening. God's love does not prevent bad days from happening. In the beginning, when God created everything, he gave Adam and Eve free reign of creation with only one thing withheld, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so it's really important that we see just right off the bat the way God operated. It wasn't that he made this yard, backyard with a fence around it and put the people in it and said, you can just run around this yard and have a great time. But then there was the rest of the planet being withheld from them and they just had this small space. That's not what God did. God took this one tree, this one thing, and he put it in one spot and he said, okay, don't do this. The rest of creation is yours to explore and to appreciate and have adventures in and experience my presence in. All of this is yours. Just don't eat this one thing. And so the choice was before them. Be obedient, enjoy life in creation, or choose to do their own thing, disobey God, and take the one thing. Well, that's what they did. They chose their own own way. They didn't obey God. And at that point, sin was brought into the world. Creation was broken. Death was a real thing. And life would be a struggle. When we look at the list in Ecclesiastes that we just read, this is what life after that choice would be. That yes, there would be all these positive things, but all these difficult things are a reality now. Well, why doesn't God just take the bad stuff away then? Why doesn't he just take the bad stuff? Because we have the same choice. And he wants us to choose him. God wants us to choose to come home to him, to be part of his kingdom, to follow him. And to give us the choice to follow him, that means he has to give us the choice to reject him. And so the idea of rejecting God, the brokenness that we see in our lives and the world, comes from either my choices someone else's choices or the choices which have broken creation. Like he gave Adam and Eve, God gives us the choice to follow, knowing that we may reject him and knowing the consequences that will come from that. But the choice has to be genuine. He wants us to choose him. And so in that, he has to allow us to reject him. And allowing us to reject him means allowing the consequences that come From those rejections. And so, when the hard things come around, things that cause us to weep, to mourn, to cast stones, and all the other things we see in these verses, God is not a malicious God trying to smite us. He is the caring, loving God walking with us, offering us healing, offering us a different way, wanting us to be part of what He is doing in the world to restore it back to Himself. Bad days don't mean that God hates you. Our good God is with you in every bad day that you have. God's love does not prevent bad days from happening. Second thing, thinking through these verses, is that we need to acknowledge the days that we've had. We need to acknowledge the different days that we've had. Like I said it a minute ago, this verse gives us a picture of the reality of life. You could almost reword it as there will certainly be days of birth and there will certainly be days of death. There will certainly be days of, and just go down the list. And so if we are bound to have days like this, then we need to acknowledge them. Not being surprised, but being truthful that they've occurred. Too often than not, though, that's not what we do. Instead, we minimize the difficult moments. We even deny or bury the hard things. And even worse, if someone we know or around us is going through them, we can minimize what they're going through or we want them to deny it or bury it. We might even avoid them because we don't want to be around their difficult thing. Doesn't that all seem like a really weird form of self-gaslighting? I mean, if gaslighting is trying to get someone to question their own reality, memory, or perceptions, well, don't when we minimize, deny, or bury our experiences, aren't we changing our perception of our own reality? We're saying, no, 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 that wasn't that bad, or that didn't happen, or just toughen up and get through it. That's not real. And that denies what we've experienced. It's not healthy, nor is it genuine, And it's not being true to yourself. Most importantly, it's not being true to God. And worse, do we do that to another person? We need to acknowledge, truthfully, the days that we have. And the scriptures, through the scriptures, God gives us permission to. If you just look at the Psalms, we see example after example of people naming what they are experiencing or have experienced. For, for example, Psalm 13. O oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long, will my enemy, how, how long will my enemy have the upper hand? It says in Psalm 55, It is not my enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from that. Instead, it is you my equal, my companion, my close friend. You're the one doing these things to me. Psalm 130, From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Throughout all of the Psalms, we have prayer after prayer coming in after moments of sickness, of betrayal, of hurt, of being attacked. And these prayers done in bad days give us permission to name our bad days, to be honest about what we've experienced. And we need to do that. We need to acknowledge the rough moments, but we also need to acknowledge the good moments. We need to acknowledge the, the good things that we have experienced, acknowledging, thing, acknowledging the things that we can be thankful for grateful for in our lives. By doing that, it really broadens our perspective of our lives, of God, and who we are. We can get, when we are in the middle of tragedy or hurt or wounds or whatever that might be, we can get laser focused on that where the only thing we see is the, is the trauma. And that's understandable. It doesn't minimize the reality of what that thing is we're looking at. But by laser focusing on that one negative thing, we can miss the reality of the good that is or has happened in our lives. And so by stopping and being grateful, it isn't to minimize what we've gone through, it's not to uh, devalue the hard things, but it's also to see the other things that are going on. Uh, Right before Easter at Good Friday, we had different worship stations spread out around the church. And one of the worship stations was inviting people to express gratefulness, to to go through and list out 25 different things that you can be grateful for. Specific things, naming people, naming situations, naming things about God, because we need to have that exercise of seeing the good as well as the difficult. And so that's one of the things on this sheet that I gave you today, On the opposite side of the multiply book stuff, this is the exact same thing that we had for that worship station. And so maybe that's the thing that you need to do from today is maybe you need to, if you were here with us on Good Friday, maybe you need to do it again. But if you weren't, maybe that's the thing you need to do for the first time. Again, it isn't to ignore or devalue or dismiss the hard thing, but it's to remind yourself that there are things to be grateful for. And that both are existent in your life. And so I would encourage you at some point to do that. When we think about other people in our community, other people that we know, we are never to minimize, deny, or or deny anyone their experiences. Or to avoid their experiences. We are meant to walk with people. It says in 1 Corinthians, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. If somebody is going through some of their hardest of days, they should not be going through it alone if they are part of the church. We should be walking through it with them. People should know that there are people. Again, we might not have the skill or the training to know specifically what to do, but we can get people help and walk through them while they're going through it. And the thing that we really need to check our hearts on is that when we think about people going through difficult seasons, hard times, hard Horrible things sometimes, even whether it's decisions that they've made or things that have happened. Sometimes believers can utter the phrase, "Okay, but yeah, but how long do you let that go on?" They're in a really painful spot. They're really causing some damage in their life. They're really dealing with some of these issues. How long do you put that on? Go let that go on. At what point do they just have to get over it or keep going on or move on? If you ever utter the phrase, "How long do I? How long?" Do you let that go on? Just know that what you're actually saying is, how long do I have to put up with this? And then check your heart and ask God for forgiveness. Because we, there should be no end, there's no expiration date on suffer with those who suffer. There is no end date on suffer with those who suffer. We need to walk through life together. We need to acknowledge the days that we've had, the difficult moments, the great moments, and we need to do that with one another. Because, leading to the last thing from this first half, we need to discover how our days influence us. We need to discover how our days influence us. Different positive, if different positive or negative experiences are bound to happen, not only do we need to name them, but we need to see how they impact us, shape us, and mold us. Author Dan Allender says this, Our own life is the thing that most influences and shapes our outlook, our tendencies, our choices, and our decisions. It is the force that orients us toward the future, and yet we don't give it a second thought, much less a careful examination. It's time to listen to our own story. Again, Dan Allender, that's from his book, To Be Told. Our stories Every one of our stories has different characters and events and experiences and tragedies and triumphs, and we do not go through them as emotionless and unaffected people. Everything impacts us, and in that molds and shapes us. And so an exercise that you can do to discover your story and to be honest about your experiences, to name them and also see the impact, is that you can create a chart that shows your life journey and that's what the other side of this sheet is for again being really practical today and giving you some things to do when this is over Um, what you do with this is if you hold it up or just take it out you uh, you would draw a line along the middle of the sheet top is for positive uh, the kind of more positive experiences bottom is for some of those more difficult negative ones Uh, over here on the left is uh, say your birth And over here on the right is now. I mean, I'm not going to say death because that would be morbid, but this is now. And so what you do is you break this up into some different sections. And so you could break it up into four sections. You could break up into five sections. But each one is the next season of your life. So if I was doing this, I probably would have actually a little bit more than four, but I would have maybe birth through elementary school is the first one, and then junior high and high school the second one, college, uh, 20, and then 20s, 30s, 40s. I would break it up maybe into five sections. You can break it into however many days you have, figure out how to break it up. But then you go section by section. Okay, birth through elementary school. What were some of my best days? And whatever comes to mind, write it in that top part. When I think of birth to elementary school, what were some of my worst days? And write down whatever comes to mind doesn't matter how silly it is. There's a reason why that came to your mind. This neighbor down the street used to, you know, whatever, or man, that one birthday party, that was, whatever comes to mind, what are your best days? You put that down. And you go through every section, filling that out. What were some of your, and again, I would definitely recommend doing it later because it's going to take a little while. But what are some of your best days and worst days in each section? Then, When you go through that list and you have that laid out, you have an overview, a sketch of your life's journey, your story, the moments that have formed and fashioned you in whatever way that that's happened. And again, naming those things, but it's not just naming them, it's asking, prayerfully asking, okay, what do I see in here? And so some questions that you could ask could be, how do my highest moments give me confidence and motivation? Or, how do my lowest moments give me insecurities or fears or doubts? Which moments brought me the most peace in my life? Which moments brought fracture? Which moments hurt the most? Which moments brought the most joy? Asking these questions, being able to process those things. Originally, This whole talk and this conversation and doing this was meant to be, it's on the invite. We were going to talk about how our family impacts us. But kind of thinking over this last week, I've broadened it because not only do our families impact us, but all of our lives impact us. And by writing this out and seeing the different events, we see how the moments, the days of our lives have impacted and influenced and shaped who we are. Attachments are formulated when we were younger. Those may have come from a healthy place where we were nurtured cared for and affirmed. But some of those attachments may have come from an unhealthy place where we weren't cared for, where people weren't there for us, or where there was trauma or even abandonment. Our experiences with our parents are defining, but experiences with teachers and friends and relationships and bosses and co-workers and church leaders and coaches and other significant characters, they all speak into us for better or worse and they contribute to who we are. The thing about this is that if you if you have a pulse, you will have things written on the bottom half of that sheet. We all have experienced some of those low days, many of those low days, and some of them have been very, very painful. There might be moments of abuse or bullying or loss or divorce or trauma, whatever that might be. And here's the thing that you have to hear today about those type of moments. The less you talk about them, the less chance there is for healing. The less you talk about them, the less there is a chance for healing. I know that those are the things where we say, I don't want to dig all this stuff up. I don't want to talk about this. You are preventing yourself from healing. You are preventing yourself from seeing how those moments shape and form you in your outlook on the world, on God and yourself and others. And we need to be able to talk about those things so that the light of Jesus can shine into those things and we can heal and find wholeness and joy in the Lord. And so what do you do when you have those things? One thing, let me just say this before I forget. If you, I, hope, I really want to challenge all of you to attempt this. I think that this is more helpful than you're going to realize. And it's just as far as our growth in the Lord and as people, If there was ever an emotional health exercise we can do, this is one of them. I would highly recommend it. If you want like a supersized version of this, I put the QR code on here. It's the same one in the pews. But there's a link on there that says spiritual journey exercise. And it'll take you to a Google Drive folder where I have the chart, but I also have um, the first couple chapters of Dan Allender's book, To Be Told, which I just quoted. I have a sermon that I heard him do at a conference about 10 years ago that speaks to this kind of a topic, and it was it's just it was really good for me. But then I have a one sheet that really helps understand how to fill this out, but also how to process it. It's something I've done with different students uh, at Moody, in classes I've taught, and I just wanted to make it available for our church as well. So just know that that resource is available. If you scan the QR code, it's the link that says spiritual journey uh, exercise Uh, and has the date for the sermon, all of that information is there. When you do that, when you get this laid out before you, when you process these things, okay, what do you do with it? Well, first thing I would say for all of us is I would recommend doing some journaling, specifically writing a letter to the Lord. You have this chart that you've made that gives your life journey, naming the different things that you've experienced, the high points and the low points and whatever that is. You need to write that letter. Dear, Dear Jesus, and then just start talking and let whatever come out comes comes out come out and tell him the things that you're grateful for and tell him the things that you're angry about tell him the questions that you have and tell him the hopes that you have but when you look at that journey you just need to get it out and keep writing till nothing else you can think of and just stream of consciousness just let it be one long prayer to the lord when you get done writing that i would read through it and i would encourage you to read through it out loud and then just sit quiet for a little bit and know that you're in the presence of the Lord and let him speak to your heart. You need to pray through the things that you're writing down. The second thing you can do with this information, this exercise, is have a conversation with a trusted friend. Just have coffee with somebody, somebody that knows you, who is for you, who you know is uh, going to receive the, the lowest of points and the good, highest of points. And it's going to speak truth into your life, words of grace and mercy and remind you of the love of Christ um, and can encourage you within that. The other thing I would highly recommend you do is consider talking with a counselor. There's a really bad stigmata and taboo that we have, especially in the church for a long time, where, man, if I go to see a counselor, that means I'm admitting I'm crazy. That is the worst misunderstanding of talking to a counselor ever. Ever. You know who needs to talk to a counselor about their lives? Humans who live. Because the reality is, is that we have brokenness, we have decisions that we've made we have to deal with, we have decisions of other people that we have to deal with, and sometimes we just don't know how to process that. And that we have counselors available that have gone through how does human and human development work and all of that and how do we process our emotions, our minds who can coach us and guide us and ask us the questions we didn't even know we needed to ask and remind us of things we might not even realize we needed to know. And for, I would encourage, here's a, if you have gone through significant trauma moments in your life, you need to speak with a counselor. Parents' divorce, death in the family, loss of job, really bad breakup, Moments of bullying or antagonistic things at work or school. Those are things that need to be talked about, not buried down, but brought out so that healing can happen and you can be reminded of the love of the Lord. I'm just being, being honest and kind of being real with all of you here. The two years of the pandemic were really rough. It was hard to do be a pastor in the two years of the pandemic and the election and George Floyd stuff. This was not an easy job. And that two years on top of two or three really difficult years of pastoring before that was just a few years at the end of it, I was broken, I was empty, and many times going on autopilot. And it got to the point where it was, I have got to talk to somebody about my experiences and what I'm doing and this role I have in ministry. And so I found a counselor who's also a former pastor who has done this and has done it for a long time in many other places and knows the ins and outs of ministry and has had a lot of ups and downs experiences within that, but also as a trained counselor and there has been nothing that has fed my soul more than that relationship. To be reminded of the goodness of the Lord, to be reminded of, yes, that's normal, no, that's not you, no, that's somebody projecting their stuff on you, no, that's your stuff, and being a help me to guide through that, it has been one of the most positive, helpful relationships I've had in the last 12 to eight months that that's been going on. Jeanette and I have been able to talk with him together and the, the help that that's been for our relationship and understanding one another as we navigate this. To, and that's not just the first time I've seen a counselor, it's just the current time to talk about the different things that we go through. And so I'm telling you, from experience, it is something you should consider. To be able to talk about the things you've gone through. Because the less you talk about the things you've gone through, the less you are opening up yourself for healing and the truth of the Lord. We need to see how our days influence us. And many times we need help to do that. And so I would encourage you, go through this exercise, see how it lays out, journal, talk with a friend, and maybe even consider that last step of finding somebody to talk with. The reality of life is going to be experienced. We need to acknowledge the days we've had, but also how they influence the people that we are. But that's not all. And the next part of this passage is really the most important. And so looking at verse 9, it says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the human heart yet so that we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. This is God's gift to people. Ecclesiastes 3.11 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Um, I have others too, but, and all the Bible is great, but this is one of just my verses that I always come back to. The first part of it is telling us what? That God makes our days beautiful. God makes our days beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And I think those are eight of the most powerful words in Scripture. God transforms our darkest moment into things of beauty. Not only does he forgive us of our sins and draw us back to the Father and restore that relationship, but in the same way, he restores everything about us. This does not mean that God gaslights us. No, that wasn't a difficult or horrible thing. No, it wasn't that bad. Just buck up and keep going. It's not saying change your minds about the event. No, this is saying that God will transform our hardest moments into something of grandeur. And maybe the way the beauty comes in your story is that it's an issue of discovering grace and forgiveness after a bad decision that you've made. Maybe the thing of beauty is finding healing after experiencing the ramifications of somebody else's horrible actions. Maybe the thing of beauty is discovering joy and hope that transcend your worst moments. God transforms our most difficult moments into a thing of beauty. We might not realize it right away. There's some things we might not see the the gravity of until eternity. That's why it says, in its time. It will take us some time to see that, but God is always working. God is not absent, and if he's not absent, that means he's still with you. And if he's with you, he's caring for you and working on you and redeeming you and asking you to join him in what he's doing. God will take your darkest moments and make them a thing of beauty. Again, that's not insulting or demeaning anything you've gone through or approving of the things that you've gone through. But this is the power of God, that he takes that ugliness and transforms it into something beautiful. The other thing we see in verse 11 is that life only makes sense through God, specifically the gospel. He has put eternity into the human heart, yet so we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. He is God has made every single person that lives, has lived, or will live with a disposition of eternity that we know that our lives are more than the day we are living in within now. There has been stuff we have experienced and there is more to come. We know that we are more than this day. We know that we are more than the sum of our experiences, but we also know we can't figure that out on our own. To understand the breadth of it, the larger reality of eternity and the bigness of creation, we cannot figure that out on our own even though we know that it is real. We might die. Well, there are people that would deny that. There would people that would ignore that. But it doesn't change the fact that that has God has made us. And the truth is, is that we have this idea of there is eternity. We, are, we fit within it somehow. The only way we can understand our days and eternity to come is through the Lord. It will never make sense. It will always be hopeless. It will never have purpose it will never have anything that we are craving until we understand our lives in light of who God is. And the truth is, is that God is the God who loves you, who's about you, who pursues you, who sent his son to die in your place so your sins would be forgiven, so that raise him from the dead so that we can know the victorious life of the resurrection, that we could have new identities and new hope and new joy and new purpose. He is the only one that can make sense of the life that we have and provide us with a new life. What life are you living right now? I guarantee if it's not for the Lord, it might seem okay now, but in the larger reality of eternity and what is to come, you cannot make it make sense on your own. We have to turn to God, which is the last thing from this second half. Live the life, live the gift of life that God has given you. Live the gift of life that God has given you. It says in uh, verses 12 to 13 again, and I have that first verse wrong. It says 3.11. It should be 3.12 and 13. Sorry about that. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. This is God's gift to humankind. But then in Ecclesiastes 12.13 to 14, it says, The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of people. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret secret thing, whether good or evil. And these two verses are two sides of the same coin. They are working together. We need to live life in the reality and acknowledgement of who God is and what he expects from us, being obedient to his commands and the way of life he has given us. But within that, we need to enjoy the life that he has given us. We need to, that's why anybody who looks at Christianity and following Jesus as a boring existence doesn't understand what God is offering. Because if anybody should appreciate and have a joy in life, it's believers. If you see a bunch of Christians who are boring and stiff and seem like they're just sucking the enjoyment out of life, know that they have it wrong. Because God has given us a life that we should be flourishing in and enjoying. doesn't mean the bad stuff's not going to happen. But even in the midst of the bad stuff, we have a joy that transcends those things. Only God can give us a life of purpose, of hope and enjoyment that goes beyond even the worst of moments. You need to receive that gift of life because that's not a life you can create for yourself. That's not a life somebody can give you. That's not a life that all the different things that you're working for can provide. Your work can't do that. Your wealth can't do that. The newest toy can't do that. Only God can give you that type of a life. And you receive that when you trust his son as Lord of your life. Romans says, if we confess in our hearts and believe in him, make him Lord of our life, we will have eternal life. You need to trust him. You need to make him the one who is leading your life. You need to align who you are in him. God, I want to be your child. He has done everything necessary to make that possible. You just have to choose to put your faith in him. And when you do, that's when you're truly living. And when you do, the best days and the worst days, you have a life that transcends those realities because you have a God who is guiding you, who is present with you, who gives you joy and purpose and hope. I pray that today is the day that you trust him. And if you have trusted him, I pray that today is the day that you come back to the reality of, God, show me who I am in you and let that be the lens that I see my days. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that um, you care. We thank you that you are aware of every single thing that we experience, that you know the greatest days and you know the worst days that we've experienced. And so God, I pray that with that knowledge, you would give us courage to bring them to you, to come to you, to be, to seek healing, to seek help, to seek guidance. God, forgive us for the times when we try to find all of that in other places. Give us courage to come to you. For the person that doesn't know you, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they find life in you. For the person that is following you, God, help us to br- reorient our minds to the reality of who you are. God, I pray that you would speak, you you would give healing to us, that you would bring healing to our stories, the people that have been burying things and shoving it down. I pray you would give them courage to bring it out, that you can speak truth to them, that you could heal, that you can give joy, God. I pray that you would say the things that each one of us needs to hear and give us courage to respond. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just in light of the things that we've heard and the what God is this passage of his word, let's stand together and we're going to close with this last song.